This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Sheltered workshop site at 200 Court Street and some adjacent properties for $2.25 million last May. The project would create a total of 108 apartments. A development plan outlined for the city's Commission on Architecture and Urban Design indicated the project would convert an existing vacant former manufacturing warehouse into housing. Three connecting buildings would be renovated into 81 units. A three-story addition would be constructed to house 27 more apartments. Dozens of people soon will be busy in West Corners gathering potatoes to be donated to food pantries in the region. Jim Baker of the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club said volunteers are needed to help with the upcoming harvest. Members of the club have sponsored the project for more than a decade to help those in need. Baker is encouraging people willing to pitch in to show up Saturday morning at the field on Route 26 just north of Phil's Chicken House. There will be a sign announcing the Potato Harvest Project. Speaking on WMBF Radio, Baker said the planting for the potato crop occurs in May. Club members spray and cultivate the field during the summer. The potatoes now are ready to be harvested. A popular Wegmans app that gave customers a quicker way to shop and pay for their items is being shut down. The company, which operates a store in Johnson City, has advised users of its Scan app that the service will be discontinued soon. According to the Buffalo News, the move is being made because too many people have been using it to shoplift. A Wegmans statement about the move makes no direct mention of customers not paying for merchandise before leaving the store. It said the losses we are experiencing from this program prevent us from continuing to make it available in its current state. The company's statement indicated its customers have said they love the app and the, con- and the convenience it offers. Wegman said the chain had tried many adjustments to keep it. The statement did not specify what changes had been made in an effort to maintain the service. The Wegmans app was rolled out during the COVID-19 pandemic in an effort to improve overall operations at a time of significant restrictions. In a show of support for keeping a Democratic Senate, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is transferring $15 million from his campaign account to his party's candidates, incumbents, and political committee for the fall election. That's according to a Democrat familiar with the situation who insisted on anonymity to discuss it. Schumer is sending $1 million each to nine candidates, four incumbent Democratic senators, and five Democratic challengers in battleground states. That $1 million to the most contested senators, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, and Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. And it includes $1 million to the victory funds of newcomers, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Cherie Beasley in North Carolina, Tim Ryan in Ohio, and Val Demings in Florida, the Democrat familiar with the situation said. Three children were found dead on, a, on the beach near Brooklyn's famed Coney Island boardwalk early Monday, and police believe they may have been drowned by their mother. The bodies of the children, identified by police as Zachary Murdy, Lillian Murdy, and three-month-old Oliver Bondarev, were found after a nearly three-hour search that began at 1.40 a.m. when a relative called police worried the woman intended to harm her children. 
The mother, identified by family members as 30-year-old Erin Murdy, was found 90 minutes later, barefoot and soaking wet, two miles down the boardwalk from the section of Coney Island where she lived. Detectives were trying to question Murdy at the local police precinct house. So far, she's not said anything, said New York Police Department Chief of Department Kenneth Corey. New York is poised to strengthen its oversight of private and religious schools following years of complaints that thousands of children are graduating from ultra-Orthodox Jewish schools lacking basic academic skills, including the ability to read English. A Board of Regents committee unanimously approved guidelines Monday to make sure instruction at the state's private and religious schools is equivalent to that of its public schools. The rules would apply to all of New York's 1,800 non-public schools, but would have the greatest impact on the ultra-Orthodox schools, called yeshivas, some of which provide rigorous religious instruction but little or no teaching in secular subjects like English, math, science, and history. Defenders of the schools say parents have the right to send their children to programs consistent with their beliefs and traditions. As the regions met Monday, protesters assembled outside, some with signs reading, we will sit in jail rather than change our children's education. Trevor Milton, the founder of the automaker Nikola Corp, went on trial Monday on charges that he whipped up an investor frenzy for the startup company with false claims about its ability to produce trucks that, ran, that run on electricity or hydrogen fuel cells. Nikola's stock price crashed and many investors suffered heavy losses in 2021 after reports emerged questioning Milton's rosy claims about the company's ability to produce cutting-edge vehicles. It's 9.09, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now, about 64 degrees, 97% humidity, and a dew point of 60 degrees. Pretty overcast outside this morning. Today, showers and thunderstorms likely, mainly before noon. Cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly sunny with a high near 72, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low near 54. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, a high near 77. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 50. And Thursday, sunny with a high near 67. Thursday night, mostly clear, a low near 45 degrees. It's 9-11, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Hey, it's Bob Joseph live. And that is how it begins. It's Tuesday morning. September 13th, 2022. We are ready to discuss what needs to be discussed. 607-772-1290. Prepare to be informed. Again, 607-772-1290 is the number. You can also try email, bob at wnbf.com. True confessions. I still haven't caught up with all my email from when I was away, so if you sent me an email over the last few weeks, be prepared for a response by the end of the year. Well, I will say, if you send me an email this morning to bob at wnbf.com, there, I think, is a high probability that I'll read it. 
I think there are enough qualifiers there to cover me. Anyway, I uh, hope your morning is off to a delightful start. It's great to be here doing what needs to be done, asking a few questions, pondering the imponderables. One of the stories I see I missed when I was away was uh, a guy near Albany. I believe it's... Um, Uh, Socialist Delmar uh, near Albany. Guy is uh, John Tobison. John Tobison. Come on down and pick up the keys to your brand new Buick. Anyway, according to the Albany Times Union from a few days ago, uh, John Tobison was sitting in his backyard enjoying his morning coffee and reading his iPad. Wait, that sounds like something I might be doing (laughs) if I weren't here. Uh, Sitting in the backyard, enjoying his morning coffee and reading his iPad when he spied a skunk in the corner of his eye. Hands. Well, this sounds like something, again, that would happen to me. Worried about getting sprayed, he froze, hoping the critter would wander off. Instead... According to this account in the Albany Times Union, the skunk ran directly toward him and started biting his ankle. Biting his ankle, it says. Mr. Tobison told the newspaper he was on me before I could react. He jumped right at me and started gnawing on my ankle. I had to kick him off. I thought for sure I was going to get sprayed. But he didn't spray me. The next thing he knew, his wife had called the animal control truck. And another truck called the ambulance. Tobin spent the rest of the day at the hospital getting uh, rabies shots. That's always a treat, I've been told. Uh, Normally, when someone is bitten or scratched by a skunk, raccoon, fox, bat, or stray cat or dog, one must assume that it's rabid. Sounds sounds desperately like the conversation that we had early this month with Mary McFadden from the health department. Excuse me, it wasn't early this month. It was late August, Mary McFadden. That was one of the topics we talked about was rabid animals. You have to basically assume if they bite you or scratch you that it's rabid. So... That's what they assumed. Anyway, so this guy in the Albany area and socialist Delmar is uh, apparently getting rabies shots. Hmm. All right. Well, I could read you the entire story, but that's why you have the internet. You can read it for yourself on the internet. 916 at News Radio, WNBF, closer to home. Uh, excitement building, another. Housing project planned for downtown Binghamton, this one on Court Street. It's interesting. There's so many housing projects now planned in Binghamton. If they all come to fruition, the city is probably going to have a tremendous population increase. The 2030 census ought to be interesting with all these proposed housing projects. The latest, Helio Health planning 
a big project, a $57 million project at 200 Court Street. It, uh, for many years, was the Sheltered Workshop for the Disabled, Incorporated. And the, it had a presence there starting in 1947. That's when the first building was constructed. Then they expanded over the years. So there were various expansions along the way. But uh, recently that place has been just sitting there. Sitting there waiting to be turned into apartments like about every other place around here. I keep closing my eyes and trying to imagine what Boscovs would be like if they turned that into apartments. How many apartments could you fit into the department store there at the corner of Court and Water? Because if they ever build the garage next door, they'll have lots of parking spaces for uh, apartments there. They could call them the Boscovs Lofts. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing all the development work. All you have to do is sit there with your legal pad and a pen and just write down these ideas and then go call somebody who has money. And before you know it, they'll be holding a news conference with you about your new development project. So, um, looking at the story. By the way, if you want more details about Helio Health, 108 apartments. They bought the sheltered workshop property as well as some neighboring sites for $2,250,000. The company, of course, best known for running... Broome County's biggest and fastest-growing drug treatment center in the town of Dickinson off Glenwood Road at the Broome Developmental Center campus. Now they want to have uh, an apartment complex for people with substance abuse challenges, individuals and families. You'll be able to live there on Court Street, so we'll have some new neighbors before long. And if you want more on that story, take a look at our website, WNBF.com, to see what Helio Health wants to do here on Court Street in Binghamton. It's 920 at WNBF. Let's take calls. Carol from Johnson City, good morning. Uh, whoops, my phone. Uh, I have to admonish you. Shame on you for saying Boscovs will become apartments. Where are all those people who are going to be in those newly built apartments, going to be shopping. I know Up at the mall, over at the Oakdale Mall. Walking. That's why you live downtown, so you can walk. And, and I'm jesting when I say shame on you, but well, not really. I'm not saying, I didn't say Boscos will become apartments. I said imagine how many apartments they could fit in there if they wanted to turn Boscos into apartments. I, I certainly can't imagine Boscos ever leaving downtown Binghamton in a fit of peak. I know it's like the second. Well, it's like the second coming of Philadelphia sales, but uh, maybe a little bit better quality. But but who knows? You know, I still have. I still find things with Philadelphia sale uh, stickers on them. The orange ones. Yeah, orange I, you know, stickers. it's funny you mentioned uh, about a month ago. I was rummaging through a box, and I said, 
What the Okay, I'll clean it up for broadcast. What the heck? <laughs> was it an orange sticker? It was, with one of those pins. You know, they didn't. it wasn't even a sticker because they couldn't afford sticky stuff, so they used <laughs> those little, like, one-tenth of an inch pins that, that they used in lieu of s- sticky because right. that was before glue had been invented. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I had, I, I don't know what it was. Oh, oh, I think it was, like, not a pair of socks, one sock. And, of course, because it was from Phillies, you know what it said, slightly irregular. Yes. Well, that, that's, that's uh, I hope you have a scrapbook you could put that in there. I, it always uh, tickles me. When, like maybe an old paintbrush or something, you know, that you never got to use and uh, whatever. I have to go to a 10 o'clock funeral mass, so I'm going to go. All right. Well, thanks for checking in, Carol. Thanks. Bye. 922. Again, there is nothing... To lead anyone to believe that Boscos would ever leave Binghamton. They've been part of the fabric of downtown Binghamton uh, since 1984, August 1984. So there's every reason to believe that they soon will sign a long-term lease. Who knows? They, I think we're talking even about buying that property from the IDA. So that would be, that would be cool. Ron from Binghamton, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, you reminded me. When do you think Sox plan their escape? Uh, you know, you've always end up with one Sox. So one of them, I guess, makes it out. Uh, do they plan that escape going into the washer or going into the dryer? Sounds like a question you should be asking at Mar-a-Lago. Ah. Ah, rim shot. Rimshot, Maestro. We'll we'll sweeten it up for the West Coast feed with all the requisite sound effects. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll be darned. Uh, that's a good question about the Sox. When when do they actually plan their escape? There was a guy who used to work here many, many, many years ago, and the weird thing was, and he used to dress himself. He was married. But for some reason, he actually dressed himself, and you could tell because, say, he might show up on a Monday morning wearing one blue sock and one red sock. And darn the luck if the next day he also had a a matching pair, another red and blue sock. It was the craziest thing. Yeah, and and you said, uh, I'll be darned. Well, you won't be darned because you've escaped, you see. So no darning of those socks. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I called today. I was rummaging, too. You said you were rummaging through some stuff. I was rummaging also. And I uh, came across uh, my not-too-old, actually. This is the last uh, Binghamton City School District uh, newsletter that went out to uh, the people uh, for the summer. It was the summer newsletter. And uh, I wanted to bring attention to something which uh, may not have gotten any notice the uh the headline on the back of the uh, on the on the back of the newsletter says patriots patriots are first ever section four flag football champs and uh just quoting from it the binghamton patriots claimed the first ever section four flag football championship with a big win over union endicott on Sunday, June 12th, 
Uh, flag football was a brand new spring sport opportunity for Section 4 this year. So there's a nice picture of the young ladies on the back uh, showing them without helmets, by the way, because they play. And they're just wearing flags. You're telling me they're just wearing flags. Well, well, Bob, uh, they're not wearing flags. They're wearing their uniforms. Oh, okay. I don't know. I Hey. You know, I I got cut off their mailing list because apparently I'm no longer viewed as a supporter of the Patriots when nothing could be further from the truth. I am one of the most patriotic people in the city, so I should be getting the Patriots newsletter along with you. I I think you should, but of course you've uh, taken, uh, shall we say, pot shots at the superintendent for not appearing on your show. You could say that. I, I certainly have um, rarely let an occasion go by where I haven't made bold mention of her boycott of the program, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's not to say if she started coming on the program again that it would make for a better program. It would just make for a different program. Yeah, you've got to get a panel up. Like, uh, you've got to get... Uh, the superintendent of the Binghamton School District, and you've got to get Judge Janine on. Uh, those are the two people that uh, you uh, go after the most. Uh, yeah, go after is the wrong maybe reference. Go after, I think, sounds too strong. It makes it sound like it's something personal when it's hardly personal. As far as the highly successful cable TV host. I mean, you, you have to admit, somebody who has a Saturday night time slot on Fox News Channel, she must be doing something right. So one one could infer that the references to 119-mile-per-hour Janine, those references could be probably more out of jealousy than anything else. You know, what, what I wouldn't give, what I wouldn't give to have a recorded... Uh, show on Fox News Channel on a Saturday night when nobody's home watching TV. That would be quite cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't uh, imagine there's a very big audience there. Uh, I think uh, her program is almost entirely sponsored by the the Pillow Guy, Mike Mike Lindell. Uh, <laughs> well, I figured it was either the Pillow Guy or the guy who is worried about the peanut butter hitting the fan. Ah, uh, yeah, he's he's big on the radio, though. That's that great voice actor. I like yeah. that. I, I, I wish I could get the guy, the peanut butter hitting the fan guy, I wish I could get him to do the uh, imaging for this program. Can you imagine Mr. Peanut Butter hitting the fan? Now, it's time for Bob Joseph. He won't let the peanut butter hit the fan. But you better watch out. He'll let the Vegemite hit the fan. Sorry, that's, you know, t- keeping keeping in mind a lot of people are still enjoying their breakfast or cup of coffee. Somebody probably just did a spit take with that or smashed into a pole on the parkway. Who? Here's a trivia question for you. Who used to do the spit thing with his coffee? It was a 19, early 1960s, 1950s even, a sitcom by a very famous comedian, and he'd be drinking his coffee out of a saucer, saucer and cup, 
and his wife would come behind him and say something, and he'd spit it across the room. Who did that? Do you recall? It was a yeah, Dick Nixon. Dick Nixon. He uh, sometimes uh, his lovely wife Nancy would show up, and she'd say, "Dick, Dick, don't don't spew the coffee all over the Oval Office." And then you know, and you knew because the program was never carried live. You knew they had to do it probably five or six times just because his timing wasn't that good, but. He was a great president and, as a comedian, second to none, except for Pat Paulson. Well, Bob, his wife was Pat, not Nancy. You're thinking you're getting mixed up with Reagan. Yeah, I know. I'm having fun. Yeah. I, but yeah. think about this. Wouldn't it be funny if they did a TV show called Odd Couples, Odd Presidential Couples, and you could have um, one actor portraying the great communicator, Ronald Wilson Reagan, but in this odd TV show, this series, he'd be married to Roseanne Barr. <laughs> Don't do that. I was trying to set it up about Ronald Reagan being married to Pat Nixon, oh. and and Richard Nixon being <laughs> married to Nancy Reagan, and they would live next door to each other uh, over on East Main Street in Endwell. Right across the street from Bob Omart. You see what, where I'm going with this? It would be a laugh riot. Yes, and you could be that, uh, you know, the sidekick kind of guy that comes in, the, the Bob, Bob Omart. Really, I'd be, the, I'd be the, the, the owner of the Bob Omart. I'd always be in a bad mood because I, I had to work 20-hour shifts because the Bob Omart would be open from basically 5 a.m. to 1 a.m., and then I would get about three hours to sleep. But I would always be so in a, a bad mood because I only usually got three or three and a half hours of sleep each night because I wouldn't trust anybody to actually work at my Bob Omart because I'd be afraid of shrinkage. You know, like I would be afraid that uh, the overnight guy would be stealing a candy bar or one of those hot dogs on, on the roller, one of those hot dogs that's been on the roller for about a month. Well, Bob, this would fit you. This would be, uh, you know, you would be in character as a curmudgeon because you're the irascible curmudgeon. I'd be the guy who looks over the fence at, at uh, Nancy and Richard. And be like, wait, sh- you you guys are mixed up. You you should be with the other. And they'd say, no, we um, we got divorced. You know, Pat Nixon could sh- say that she divorced Richard Nixon, and then now she's married to Ronald Reagan. Character again. This is all all a sitcom, and they do it all for charity. And then uh, on the other side of the the apartment complex. I guess it would be a duplex, right? It would be a duplex yeah. over on East Main Street across from the Bobble Mart, and then Ronald Reagan would be now living with Pat Nixon or whatever. I don't know. Just, you know, give me give me a few days to work out the details, and then we'll, we'll go to NBC and present it as a show about nothing good. Well, Bob, one last thing. One of your regular customers at Bobble Mart coming in to buy stuff from the irascible curmudgeon would be Betty Ford. Yeah, and then, you know, I would sell her, no. You know, there's only so far you can go on radio, and we don't we don't want to go there, not on a Tuesday. I've, I have vowed not to ever lose a job on a Tuesday. 
I'll call you Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll use the line Friday. I I have my I have my letter already prepared. It's it's in the the upper left portion of my desk. Anyway, thank you, Ron. I think we accomplished something there. It's nine thirty three with Joseph. We didn't touch on many local issues. We did touch on the flag football champion. So my belated congratulations to Binghamton for being the first ever Section 4 flag football champions. I'm sure the game is going to be rebroadcast over the next couple of days on ESPN. I'll look at my local listings. 607-772-1290 if you'd like to discuss the relevant issues. Here's an issue to consider. A car. A car. It's something beautiful to behold, especially a brand new car, like a Honda, for example, or a Hyundai. From Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, that's where you get them. That's where they they arrive. Truckloads. They bring them from the um, assembly point and then Drop them off with care at 4455 Vestal Parkway East, right across from Binghamton University. So if you want a new vehicle, a Honda or a Hyundai, get in touch with the folks at Miller Motors. The Miller Auto Team is there to serve you, and they've been doing that now for decades. They'll be there for a long time to come. So inquire of the Miller Auto Team if you're interested in a new vehicle or perchance a used vehicle, a vehicle that's been previously utilized by someone who drove it just a couple hours a week. Miller Motors. Check out the used vehicle inventory online at millerautoteam.com. All the information you need and more on the website. Miller Motors. Open tonight till 7 on the Parkway in Vestal. Motive. Tuesday morning at WNBF, I'm Bob Joseph, joined by Karen Sweet O'Neill from KSO Insurance Solutions. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How was your uh, vacation? Oh, fantastic. Or your break or whatever it, you're it, I would call it a break. Break. Okay. Yeah, so I yeah. took I took a break, and now I'm back. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the problems when I take a break, I miss this place. Oh, but I bet you get over it pretty quick, probably into your second day. I mean. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do get over it. But at, at first, I mean, for the first, I don't know, I would say, really, for like the first five to seven minutes or so, it's it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. But I, I, I've i learned uh, a variety of techniques, including deep breathing. And before you know it, I'm A-OK. Oh, I'm so glad. So happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. So what do you have uh, lined up for us in your um, planned Wednesday morning segment? Well, we're going to talk about um, some of the changes that the Inflation Reduction Act um, is going to have for people that are on Medicare. And uh, specifically, we're going to focus on, you know, 2023 and 2024, because I think beyond that, you know, people just stop listening. It's just too far away. Um also, in line with that, we're going to talk about, you know, the open enrollment period that's coming up, Bob, that you're going to see 
you know, advertisements all over the TV, radio, in your mailbox. And it's um, October 15th to December 7th. That's the annual enrollment period for people that are on Medicare and that need to make their choices going forward for January 1 for the following year on what kind of health care they want. Do they want to stay the same? Is their product going to be the same? Are there going to be changes for, for their prescription drug coverage? And what about Medicare Advantage plans? Are the you know benefits going to be enhanced? And so on and so forth. So we're going to start talking a little bit about that because we're already getting phone calls and we're already booking. And, you know, every year, Bob, there's changes, and it will continue to be that way. But there's also changes that are connected to the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, there's a lot going on. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Well, good news. The uh, latest inflation numbers are encouraging. The inflation now is down a bit. So already, already the Inflation Reduction Act appears to be working miraculously. <laughs> Even though no provi- I, no provision, yeah, yeah, no provision has yet taken effect, but by golly, I think inflation <laughs> is just cowering because inflation knows that before long it's going to get the official treatment. So, what about this? What if things? What if it's too successful? The uh, effort to harness inflation, bring inflation under control. What if it's so uh, successful that we wind up with deflation? You know that. Think about this, and I don't know if it's ever actually happened in my lifetime. I don't think it has in America, but deflation actually is worse than inflation. So think about that. Look it up sometime on Google. Right. And, you know, I don't think it's happened in your lifetime either. No, a healthy economy. Trust me. I don't know much about economics, but I do know this. A healthy economy requires a certain amount of inflation, if ever, you are experiencing a situation with deflation, especially on the highway at high speeds. Pull over immediately because that, that your tires could suddenly. Oh, that's two different things. Yeah, but still, it makes sense. Deflation in the nation is not something we want. No, I'll tell you what. We just I think what we want, Bob, is we just want some peace in this country. You know, and people stop being so darn angry all the time and just... Be a little bit kinder, and you know, that's I agree. A start. That's a well, start. Sure. What what you I know. used to say when I was a kid growing up in Endwell, I told my mom, "All I uh, all I am saying, mom, is give peace a chance." And she said, "Okay, here's a piece of cake. Now, will you go watch <laughs> Howdy that. Doody and let me let me finish my sewing?" I said, "Okay, it's a deal." Now, see, Gary would say, "Give peas a chance." That's what yeah. his mom would say. Try these peas. Did you ever have? <laughs> you know, speaking of peas, did you ever have these those canned peas? I don't think they make them anymore. But the the canned peas that used to look, I don't even know what shade of green it was. We'll just say, didn't look like an edible shade of green. And mm-hmm. I think they were generic canned peas, and you could get them. <laughs> there was a store in the Endwell Plaza. You could get them for like twelve cents a can for like a. 70-ounce can, and I'll tell you, the, the good thing about that is it saved a lot of money on the household budget because we didn't have to eat many peas. We, we had a bunch of kids, but very few of us would even go close to the peas, so that's, that's why, yeah. that's why we, we always had nice, thin figures up until a point, until we discovered donuts. Right. 
Uh, donuts or peas? Well, <sighs> that's just not me. I was going to say, there's, there's no contest there. <laughs> no contest. No, nobody has ever walked into a place in Endicott and said, give me a dozen peas. That's right. See what and I'm they saying? They won't either. No. I do see. Ah, give me a dozen donuts, though. That's... Uh, that's a different story. Anyway, yeah. always a pleasure. We will be looking forward to your call tomorrow morning with more important information. Very good. And if anybody needs to start making their appointment, they can reach us at 607-772-4898. We are up on the parkway up above Plato's Closet and Style Encore. Or they can Google us at KSO Insurance, and all our contact information will come up, and I will talk to you tomorrow, Bob. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. It's Karen Sweet O'Neill live on this Tuesday morning from News Radio WNBF. It's 945 with your radio buddy, Bob Joseph, 607-772-1290, or send an email, bob at wnbf.com. Here's a contest. If you send an email this morning, assuming that it's arable, assuming that it's something that we can actually talk about on the program. So you send an email to bob at wnbf.com, and then you could sit there with a stopwatch to see how long it takes from the time you press send on your email to the time it's read on the air. That would be interesting. That would be a good experiment. They should do that over at Binghamton University, a research experiment. They could send 10 emails, and out of the 10... See how quickly whose email would be read first. It's Bob Joseph with you, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming live on WNBF.com. Some per- WNBF, live and local, talking about the issues that need to be discussed. John in Binghamton, good morning. Hey, Bob. Uh, on Helio Health, nice story uh, on this organization. And, of course, this is the organization that Akshar uh, was uh, uh, heavily involved in when they were coming in here. And I warned at those public meetings uh, that this was only the beginning and uh, I'm looking, uh, people don't have any idea. Uh, this, this is a $35 million uh, Medicaid and Medicare billing operation. And the CEO there, uh, without benefits, pl- uh, makes $435,000 with benefits a lot more. Wait, isn't that about what the President of the United States makes now? Uh, yeah, and it's pretty close to what Harvey Stanger uh, makes uh, for Binghamton University. Uh, well, that's you know, why that's why some of these people always seem to be smiling. Then, well, sure, there's big money off the backs of drug addicts and mentally ill people. Now, we don't need a, a sheriff in Broome County like Fred Akshar, who's gone flaccid. 
who wants to serve as a mental health clearinghouse for these desperate people. If you build it, they will come. And when General Hospital was essentially turned into a drug treatment center, uh, this is what happened. Uh, to, to realize the devastating effect, you know, Helio took over the old, one of the old Nettleton uh, shoe factories. Uh, here was uh, one of the best shoe companies in the world. Uh, they were getting $200 a pair in the 70s. Fine Craftsman, uh, $23, $24 an hour in the late 70s uh, was the rate of pay. Uh, and now it's Helio Health. Uh, what we're seeing uh, is, and this is while, all the while, Bob, our single-family structures are crumbling. Roofs, uh, you know, this is just crumbling. But what you're going to have here in downtown Binghamton is the zombie apocalypse. And what I'm suggesting to you is this, and I've been all around upstate New York. I'm still continuing uh, to work in all these towns. What you have in Binghamton and Broome County is a complete, uh, unbalanced economy. You want a diversified economy, and you don't have that. What you've got is a university whose footprint is expanding beyond belief, no taxes, and you've got all these tax credit, nonprofit housing projects. This leaves the poor uh, middle class, if there's going to be any of those left, homeowner uh, and business owner, in the lurch uh, to pay for all this stuff. So, uh, you know, if they were going to stay on Glenwood Road, uh, that was one thing. But they're not, you see. They're coming where the, the action is. Well, yeah, now they're going to be in the Bob Joseph neighborhood. Mr. Joseph's neighborhood will have um, $52 million. Of course, by the time you know, it says $57 million, by the time it's built, it's probably be. 65 or 70 million dollars with the cost of everything 108 apartments for people individuals and families with substance abuse challenges so it won't be just just people but even families with drug challenges and this comes uh with the ywca housing project you know uh this city is not a city anymore uh, prosperous people, people that work in business, what's left of it, aren't going to put up with the uh, lifestyles of these desperate people that if they go off the drugs or they get the drug, and this is what we're talking we're, we're not talking about, we're talking about putting people on other drugs. Let's, let, you know. Well, so, by the way, this is right near St. Mary's. Right. On Fayette Street, it's just a. I think it's just a few. It's a hop, skip, and a jump to the east of St. Mary's. So, so you're going to see more of these people. God bless them. They get up in the morning, all their needs are taken care of, and they have nothing to do all day long. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens, but uh, maybe, maybe we'll get the president and ceo of helio health jeremy klamanski on the program to discuss some more of the particulars maybe they will have more of these projects all around the triple cities at some point be interesting i i would ask him if uh, we can schedule him on the program see if more of them might be in the works 
It's 9.55. Beverly in the town of Dickinson. What's going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing much. I called to say that I got my my book that tells me that what my insurance is going to pay for next year. And one one thing is on there is is transportation to the doctors and from the doctors. So that's important because that's a uh, that's very very expensive. Well, that is good. So I'm glad to hear you're yeah, ca- yeah, you're going to catch uh, a break. Yeah, they uh, they also uh, oh they've got a lot a lot of additional you know that you don't have to pay for. But in that book, it decreased the the mental health, you know, for the mental health. Yeah, well, that doesn't sound good. Um, yeah, uh, we have to run along. We have the news coming up. Appreciate the call. We'll have to see what's going on there, why they would decrease mental health benefits, especially in this day and age. More coming up. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. Welcome to where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, September 13th. It's 10.04. You're listening to WNBF. A Syracuse company that runs a Broome County Drug Treatment Center is preparing to develop a $57 million housing project in Binghamton for people with substance abuse challenges. A unit affiliated with Helio Health acquired the former sheltered workshop site at 200 Court Street and some adjacent properties for $2.2 million last May. The project would create a total of 108 apartments. A development plan outlined for the City's Commission on Architecture and Urban Design indicated the project would convert an existing vacant former manufacturing warehouse into housing. Three connected buildings would be renovated into 81 units. A three-story addition would be constructed to house 27 more apartments. The plan calls for the creation of a community room as well as a fitness center and an outdoor recreation area in a courtyard. The facility would also have lounges and laundry rooms. Dozens of people soon will be busy in West Corners gathering potatoes to be donated to food pantries in the region. Jim Baker of the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club said volunteers are needed to help with the upcoming harvest. Members of the club have sponsored the project for more than a decade to help those in need. Baker is encouraging people willing to pitch in to show up Saturday morning at the field on Route 26, just north of Phil's Chicken House. There will be a sign announcing the potato harvest project. Speaking on WMBF Radio, Baker said the planting for the potato crop occurs in May. Club members spray and cultivate the field during the summer, and the potatoes are now ready to be harvested. A popular Wegmans app that gave customers a quicker way to shop and pay for their items is being shut down. The company, which operates a store in Johnson City, has advised users of its scan app that the service will be discontinued soon. According to the Buffalo News, the move is being made because too many people have been using it to shoplift. A Wegman statement about the move makes no direct mention of customers not paying for merchandise before leaving the store. It said the losses we are experiencing from this program prevent us from continuing to make it available in its current state. 
The company's statement indicated its customers have said they love the app and the convenience it offers. Wegman said the chain had tried many adjustments to keep it. The statement did not specify what changes had been made in an effort to maintain the service. The Wegman's app was rolled out during the COVID-19 pandemic in an effort to improve overall operations. At leader Chuck Schumer's transferring $15 million from his campaign account to his party's candidates, incumbents, and political committee for the fall election. That's according to a Democrat familiar with the situation who insisted on anonymity to discuss it. Schumer is sending $1 million each to nine candidates, four incumbent Democratic senators and five Democratic challengers in battleground states. That includes $1 million to the most contested senators, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, and Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. And it includes $1 million to the victory funds of newcomers, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Cherie Beasley in North Carolina, Tim Ryan in Ohio, and Val Demings in Florida, the Democrat familiar with the situation said. Three children were found dead on, a, on the beach near Brooklyn's famed Coney Island boardwalk early Monday, and police believe they may have been drowned by their mother. The bodies of the children, identified by police as Zachary Murdy, 7, Lillian Murdy, 4, and 3-month-old Oliver Bondevrev, were found after a nearly three-hour search that began at 1.40 a.m. when a relative called police worried the woman intended to harm her children. The mother, identified by family members as 30-year-old Aaron Murdy, was found 90 minutes later, barefoot and soaking wet, two miles down the boardwalk from the section of Coney Island where she lived. New York is poised to strengthen its oversight of private and religious schools following years of complaints that thousands of children are graduating from ultra-Orthodox Jewish schools lacking basic academic skills, including the ability to read English. A Board of Regents committee unanimously approved guidelines Monday to make sure instruction at the state's private and religious schools is equivalent to that of its public schools. The rules would apply to all of New York's 1,800 non-public schools, but would have the greatest impact on the ultra-Orthodox schools called yeshivas, some of which provide rigorous religious instruction but little to no teaching in secular subjects like English, math, science, and history. It's 10.09, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now about 64 degrees and overcast downtown. 96% humidity, a dew point of 59 degrees. Today, showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm before noon. And a chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly between noon and 3 p.m. Cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly sunny. A high near 68 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low near 52. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, high near 72. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 48. And on Thursday, sunny with a high near 63, some strong winds possible, and Thursday night mostly clear with a low near 44 degrees. It's 1010 where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Tuesday morning with Bob Joseph, live and local on News Radio WNBF. Number to call is 607-772-1290. Send an email to bob at WNBF.com. And of course, we do gladly accept tips. News tips. If you know something of substance, 
send it to bob at wnbf.com and trust me we'll keep your name out of it you <laughs> will unless you want your name in it but a lot of tipsters usually are acting in the public interest with their news tips and they say here's something you should know but could you keep my name out of it and it'll be what this conversation never happened and they'd be like oh yeah they'd be like whatever so it's on your mind we'll cover some things i think it's interesting the um projects everybody is again talking about projects and as we've mentioned on this program sometimes in the past projects get announced and then mysteriously you never hear of the projects again think about maybe we'll do that on friday with jerry smith the noted historian the uh, historian who has seen a thing or two around the binghamton area we could come up with the top 50 projects in the binghamton area that never materialized I think it would be difficult limiting our list to only 50 projects that never materialized. But somehow we might be able to figure that out. Fortunately, some projects do become a reality, but sometimes it seems it takes forever. Let's say the tennis courts. I still want the tennis courts to open. But I drove by the tennis courts this morning on Beethoven Street, and i got to tell you, it doesn't appear that they're ready to open yet. So if if you know something, the problem with the tennis courts is this project seemed to be finished last year. I remember when they were finished paving the brand new, highly coveted tennis courts on the west side at Rec Park, I remember seeing people. Young people and even older people playing tennis and looking like they were having the time of their lives, but then they discovered there were issues with the tennis court and it had to be fixed. And so for so many people, and especially the children, think of the children on the west side who haven't been able to play tennis. They went an entire summer. They're back in school now. And they weren't able to play tennis at their favorite neighborhood tennis venue because the project was incomplete. So I'll keep you posted. If, if we receive more information about the status of the tennis court project on the west side. And by the way, you know, fortunately over the last couple of years some people have been working to keep us posted on the tennis court project so if you know what what they're going to do now maybe they'll have a ceremony i i wouldn't be surprised wouldn't be surprised at some point when the project finally is deemed complete by the american tennis federation i wouldn't be surprised that they have a, a photo op and maybe even a ribbon-cutting ceremony and, who knows, complimentary ice cream. I think that would be I think that would be a great thing. 
I think that would be very, very nice for the tennis lovers in our community. 10.15 here at News Radio WNBF. Now people... <laughs> no, I can't mention that. Uh, maybe I'll mention it on tomorrow's program. The thing is, there are a few things right now, even even during this program. During this program, I'm working on a couple of stories that I think you're going to find very interesting. So my suggestion to you is to stay tuned to the program and also stay tuned to our website wnbf.com because we've got some stories that i think you'll find interesting and uh, not going to see the stories elsewhere so keep an eye out to our website wnbf.com as they say it's where news breaks first coming up preview of what's ahead at the no theater no theater in downtown binghamton everything you need to know coming up next here on wnbf welcome WNBF live and local at 1019. Joined now by Tim Gleason with No Theater, downtown Binghamton, getting set to open up the 30th season. Seems hard to believe, but three decades. Three decades, Mr. Gleason. It's pretty impressive. Um, crazy. Uh, crazy. Yeah, it uh, doesn't seem like it... Uh, we uh, we put up all our posters. Uh, we had a little uh, gala, and when I saw everything hanging in front of me, it kind of it kind of knocked me backwards. But uh, we have been here. We've been blessed to be here for well, not on uh, Carroll Street for thirty years, but we've been in existence for thirty years. It's 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 a blessing. Yeah, that's remarkable. Congratulations to you and everybody Thank who made you. it possible. Thank you, sir. Yes, many many more than me. That's for sure. So the 30th anniversary season will get underway this Friday night with a production of Rabbit Hole. Tell us about Rabbit Hole and what people can expect at the various performances uh, over the next couple of weeks. Certainly, sir. Uh, Rabbit Hole it won the Pulitzer Prize in 2009 for uh, the playwright David Lindsay Abair, who is uh, more noted for Lighter Fair. Um, he wrote the uh, book for Shrek. So, uh, you know, to go, you know, from something, if you think of the likeness of that, to something uh, 
which this play uh, is much heavier than that. It, it deals with the topic of grief and how uh, it can uh, drive a stake in between two people or into a family that uh, shows sides of them that they didn't know they had to ever deal with. Because uh, unless it's uh, come on the table, it's nothing you've certainly discussed in your dating histories or sitting around the table with your family. Uh, and it examines how uh, each person's identification and definition of grief can take them further away from each other as opposed to closer together. Well, sounds pretty pretty deep. Yes, sir, it is. Uh, and, you know, you, we've talked before. I try and put things on the table here, and uh, that, that can be challenging, but I, I feel confident in the safety, and I hope our audience does too, that there's, you know, there's 60 of us going through this together so we can communally uh, understand it better and know that we can reach out to our left and right and know that we've all been there. I, you know, if I can find a person that hasn't dealt with grief, they're probably going to be in grade school. Uh, yeah, and sadly these days, sometimes very young people wind up dealing with grief. And uh, it is something that, that we, of course, we don't like it, but we also come to a, a, a pretty good appreciation. It is part of life, and um, almost all the time we can get through it. Very uh, very challenging at times, but uh, sometimes we just muster up the strength we have as individuals, and, and more often we look to others to serve as a support network to provide us with the strength we need when we need it. Very much so, sir. And that, I think, the play in its uh, genius, finally, when, you know, people start their own little fires, but when they let the smoke clear, it is the strength and the the commonality of that grief that they have with the other people uh, that gets us through. Uh, but the first flare-up is, no, this is how I do it, and you do it that way. I, there's a line in the play which I quote in my uh, director's note, uh, that's you, it's not me, when someone tries to talk about grief to another person. And once you put that dividing sentence in there, it takes them down different paths when the commonality of the grief, if they stand still, is that the love they have for each other and the love they had for what caused them. What is the problem that puts the grief on the table? So, so tell me a bit. Doing. Tell me a bit about the cast of, of oh, Rabbit yeah. Hole. Certainly, uh, marvelous, marvelous cast. I've been, I've been blessed with, uh, and that's that's one of the strengths here. No uh, good actors seem to respond to our beacon. Uh, there's a married couple, and they are played by Joanna. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Gosh, uh, if I'm not embarrassed to, to forget Joanna's last name at the moment. Let me go to her husband, Jeff Tagliaferro. Uh, and he plays the husband, uh, the mother-in-law. There's a family, the, the, the wife's side uh, family, mother and sister, are played by Lynette Daniels. And uh, we have a young man in the play uh, who is involved in the story, who's outside of the family. And... Uh, he is played by Jacob Donlin, and uh, Joanna's name finally returned to me. And this, the play centers around the mom, really, uh, and her name is Joanna Patchett. And uh, it's it, it's just uh, 
the writing is amazing, Bob. Uh, these people, you know, when we get inside these stories, as we've been talking, uh, these people have to, you know, delve into their own moments and, and bring those to the table, which I, you know, I, I call actors brave all the time because uh, to make the story fly right, we have to truly experience what these characters go through. Yeah, yeah and uh, real acting requires uh, exposing oneself in, in ways that perhaps um, even over the course of the various performances will evolve. So some of the Amen. some of what's experienced by cast members as well as the audiences, uh, whether it's the opening night show on September 16th or um, ending things up uh, on October 1st, things I'm, I'm sure will, will differ from one performance to the next. Oh, guaranteed. And that's, that's the beauty of it uh, for the actor, that they get to evolve. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm always thrilled and tickled when uh, uh, someone will watch a show and come up and tap an actor and go, boy, I, I could do that. And uh, <laughs> not realizing the depths and the levels uh, of work that it takes to make it look like you're not doing anything. Uh, that's the uh, that's the sign of a professional. People who make it look effortless are amen. among among the best and among the most talented. Now, if people are interested in getting tickets to the performances of Rabbit Hole at No Theater in downtown Binghamton, how can they do that? Uh, they would go to notheater.org, Bob. Uh, that's theater spelled uh, T-R-E on the end, and we are a .org. And there is a button right there that will take you uh, right to purchasing your tickets, and it's quite easy. And we will hold them at the box office for you. Or you can, you know, we're fancy these days with all this technology. You just come in with your little slip of paper, and in you go to your selected seat. Uh, so we're hoping that people come out and communally share this uh, this topic with us. Uh, we will have someone... Uh, give them phone numbers or references to people. If we stir something up, we're certainly not going to leave them hanging. Uh, we don't we do not do that around here. So we'll, we'll have people that you can talk to or certainly stop and talk to us. We're, we're great huggers. Actors are known for it. Absolutely. Uh, also, for um, Rabbit Hole, there will be a special performance on the evening of Thursday, September 22nd. That's a uh, Pay what you can night, which I know has been something that I think has been important for people in the community who otherwise might not be able to appreciate some of the uh, performances. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, and and that's exactly why it's here. I had a director friend of mine come up from uh, Manhattan years ago now, uh, and he said he had worked in a theater in Harrisburg that had such a thing. So. We immediately uh, adopted it. And, uh, you know, that's put in a dollar, put in a thousand. I mean, we've not seen a thousand person, but we're waiting on them. Uh, but if you, it allows people that cannot fit theater into the budget to come and see a show. And uh, we give the same performance as if it's on a night where you're paying ticket price. So. Well, you never we know. You never know when Bill Gates and Elon Musk might be spending an evening in in Binghamton, and uh, you know the two of them might might say, "Let's both, both wood, at that thousand dollar bills." <laughs> Anything else you wanted Knocking to add? 
No, sir. I, I just uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and glad that uh, we've been allowed. The public has uh, allowed us to stay here because without them, uh, this kind of survival for this many years would not be uh, available. And hopefully, I can keep challenging them and entertaining them for uh, many more. If I make thirty more, uh, I won't remember I'm here. But uh, <laughs> someone will keep the uh, the lights burning. But uh, Thank you for taking the time, Bob. I appreciate that you give me a few moments to talk. Tim Gleason with No Theater in Downtown Binghamton. One thing we didn't mention, a lot of our listeners know where your performances are staged, but for those who don't... Yes, it's 74 Carroll Street. Uh, if you're a Binghamtonian, we're the old central fire station uh, right on Carroll between Holly and Court. As soon as you turn the corner, we're right there. Uh, graciously, the... Uh, Wonderful firm of Security Mutual has allowed us to, uh, to participate with their parking lot on our show nights, so there's plenty of parking right across the street, and uh, we make it as easy as we can to get you here. Tim Gleason, wish you and everybody affiliated with No Theater the very best for this new season. Thank you, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you. Stand 30. We're live and local, serving our community for nearly a century, and I don't intend to stop. Just going to keep serving the community. Here at News Radio WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always with you on your free WNBF app. Call in if you want to talk about entertainment, the arts. What did you think of the award show last night? Did you watch it? Were you impressed? Give me a call, 607-772-1290, or send an email to bob at WNBF. Com. Who takes News Radio If you've been a bad boy, maybe you too will receive recognition on the program that likes to give recognition. So, uh, bad boy alert, according to the Times Union of Albany. This just in, Rensselaer County Republican Elections Commissioner has been arrested by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That is the report by Brendan Lyons from the Albany Times Union, Jason Schofield, the Republican Rensselaer County Board of Elections Commissioner, was arrested this morning by the FBI as he left his residence and was on his way to the county office building where he works. The Albany Times Union previously reported Mr. Schofield had become a focus of an FBI investigation that led to the guilty plea of a Troy councilwoman. The indictment listing the charges against Schofield remains sealed pending his initial appearance, which is scheduled for this afternoon in United States District Court. 
Rensselaer County Democratic Deputy Elections Commissioner Mary Sweeney testified before a federal grand jury in Albany last week as the authorities zeroed in on Schofield's use of an online portal to obtain absentee ballots. A story again just posted within the last few minutes by the Albany Times Union. Republican employees at the Board of Elections in Rensselaer County also were subpoenaed to testify before the same federal grand jury in Albany. In addition, the county received a federal grand jury subpoena that sought materials related to absentee ballots that had been handled by Schofield last year. Two Rensselaer County employees are among the witnesses who were subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury, according to sources briefed on the matter. The actions of Mr. Schofield surfaced in the federal criminal case involving former Troy Councilman Kimberly Ash McPherson, the 61-year-old Ash McPherson, who had been on the council for seven years, pleaded guilty in June to a felony charge after admitting she had fraudulently submitted absentee ballots in last year's primary and general elections. She resigned from the council a day after pleading guilty, and so on and so forth. It's a somewhat complicated story. Of course, you never want to see something like this happen, but a fan of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or probably, more importantly, those of you who are not fans of the Bureau, you'll have something to chew on throughout the day today as we uh, learn more about what happened or allegedly happened in Rensselaer County. Can you imagine an elections commissioner here in New York State being arrested by the Federal Bureau of Investigation? It's 1038 at WNBF, WNBF.com. I commend Governor Hochul for allowing the emergency provisions to finally expire. I wasn't sure if it would ever happen, but finally, apparently, Governor Hochul decided that democracy is pretty important. So she has given up her emergency powers. Well, congratulations, Governor Hochul, for relinquishing your powers. As somebody once said, better late than never. Uh, according to this story, as of midnight, New York's emergency declaration for the pandemic is over. Governor said she would not extend the executive order granting her emergency powers, opting to let it lapse instead of renewing it, as she has been doing each month. So, enough. Seriously, enough emergency orders. We don't really need. (laughs) We may have needed emergency orders early in the pandemic, but... These orders that kept the public and also journalists from attending governmental meetings, there just was something intrinsically wrong with that. We've talked about it at least a few times on the program. When everybody else in virtually every other public setting 
mostly stores and businesses and entertainment venues. People are going about their business rather normally, even though we concede. I will concede the COVID-19 pandemic is not over at this point. There are, of course, still potential health challenges related to COVID, and that is worth paying attention to. But in New York State, if almost all activities other than governmental activities are allowed to go on rather unimpeded, and then you use your state of emergency to keep people out of public meetings. Yes, people, not just reporters, but people like, good people like you, not just reporters. And, oh, well, you can you can watch it on Zoom. Now, the thing about Zoom, one would think in the 21st century, for all the money that Zoom must have made during the last two years, that Zoom could somehow come up with a better technology so it doesn't feel so primitive. And it's not just Zoom. There are other similar platforms, some that work better, some work about the same. Bottom line is, why for more than two years in New York State and many other parts of the country, we we were subjected to these virtual meetings that were very difficult to follow and sometimes impossible for people to participate in. You know, there was a Binghamton meeting, I think earlier this year, where the link that they publicized for the meeting was totally wrong. And you call the appropriate people and, well, it should work. Why don't you try it again? Now, I've, I've already tried it a dozen times. The link you have for your virtual meeting your Zoom meeting on the website, that link doesn't work. Trust me. Well, why don't you try it again? I mean, just because it didn't work the first 12 times, maybe 13 will be lucky. So, of course, you do, as the gentleman suggests, and you try the link for the 13th time with the same results, thereby proving insanity is spreading wildly in Binghamton. And then finally they say, oh, okay, hold on, let me let me check. I might have a better link. And then they get you a better link, and sure enough, that so-called better link actually works. But the, the meetings, if you had to experience these meetings, you know, government meetings are bad to begin with. Not all. Many government meetings just are not designed to be user-friendly. They're designed, apparently, to be uh, convenient for those who participate in the meetings, but not necessarily useful for those who attend. So they could be talking about something, and there's no way sometimes to get a copy of what they're referencing. Sometimes people have a particular gift for mumbling 
when they're talking about something important. They could be talking about spending maybe thousands or millions of dollars in public money. And for some reason, as they discuss it or debate it, they cannot express themselves clearly so everybody else can make out what they're attempting to say. And that's true for in-person meetings. And then it felt even worse with virtual meetings, Zoom meetings or other meetings, if either people didn't know where the microphone was located or intentionally or unintentionally they would direct their voice away from the microphone but it almost seemed that they wanted you not to be able to completely understand what they were doing at their meetings anyway the emergency order that had been in effect in new york state because of the covid19 pandemic expired at midnight so that would seem to be a step in the right direction However, as Politico points out, if it feels weird not to be in a state of emergency, don't worry, we're still actually in one because states of emergency have been declared in response to polio and monkeypox. So as they say in the media, if it's not one thing, it's another. Bob Joseph with you on a Tuesday morning. 607-772-1290. Here's something mysteriously that hasn't come up, and I don't know why. Luma. I intentionally did not talk about Luma on Monday's program. First thing back after being away last week, I wanted listeners on their own to bring up Luma. I thought, well, certainly the first hour is going to be dominated by Luma-related commentary, Luma thoughts, Luma praise, people talking about the Lumacy. But nobody said anything, not just in the first hour. Nobody said a thing about Luma during the entire Monday program. So now I'm confused. Is Luma over? I don't mean is it over for this year. I know Luma is over for 2022, But the fact that they had another Luma event, the annual Projection Arts Festival in downtown Binghamton, the fact that it generated zero commentary on Monday's program makes me wonder, is it over? Has it finally run its course? Let me know. If you went to Luma, what are your thoughts? Or if you didn't go, why didn't you go? And do you think that Luma, maybe next year Luma will move to Elmira or Halstead. I I didn't say it will. I'm just saying if, if people in Binghamton don't have anything to say about it, maybe the people that run Luma, maybe they'll take it to Buffalo or Albany or Rochester where people might be excited by it. 607-772-1290 or send an email to bob at wnbf.com.
Coming to UNBF at 10.51. Bob Joseph with you until noon, live and local, discussing all sorts of things. If you have questions, sometimes we can get answers for you. We can't get answers to everything, but we will usually make an attempt. An email has uh, come in from Carol. And... This regards our conversation with Tim Gleason from No Theater. She missed the beginning of the segment with Mr. Gleason earlier this hour, but she got the gist that the play that's coming up at No Theater deals with grief, and she wants a little more input about it. Um, She knows her husband recently passed away, and so grief is definitely something that she's dealing with, and she says she thought this might be something that could benefit me. So I think from the conversation that I had with Tim Gleason about this presentation of Rabbit Hole starting on Saturday, or Friday evening, actually, at No Theater in downtown Binghamton, I suspect that it might be um, potentially beneficial, therapeutic. I, Not having seen the play and just essentially knowing about it from what Tim Gleason mentioned and also from uh, this little note that came from No Theater, uh, I do get the sense that for people who have been dealing with grief issues, that that could be, it could be beneficial. So this gives you a little more background based on the news release that was put out about No Theater's new season opening with Rabbit Hole. It's the Pulitzer Prize winning play by David Lindsay Abar. First presentation will be on September 16th, and there will be additional performances through October 1st. The synopsis, Becca and Howie Corbett have everything a family could want until a life-shattering accident turns their world upside down and leaves the couple drifting perilously apart. Rabbit Hole charts their bittersweet search for comfort in the darkest of places and for a path that will lead them back into the light of day. And as you may have gleaned, the no artistic director is Tim Gleason, who is directing this production. And the play Rabbit Hole received the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, five Tony Award nominations, and the Spirit of America Award. So the performances for Rabbit Hole begin this Friday and Saturday evening at No Theater in downtown Binghamton. And you can obtain more information at the website for No Theater, K-N-O-W, and theater, spelled with an R-E, dot org. And there's more details about the planned performances and ticket information and so on. So if you're dealing with some challenging things, I suppose, 
that uh, might be something appropriate, although you might want to go with someone. Tim Gleason said they would have people there if, if you're dealing with a tough time and going to experience a play focusing on a couple dealing with grief. You may need support, but you can you can work yourself work your way through anything with some support. Ten fifty six WNBF uh, Luma Luma and Ron from Binghamton. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Ron. I think Ron previously had made uh, a mention about not necessarily being particularly impressed with the Luma concept. So he just wrote in response to my request for people to offer Luma-related insights. His email says, Luma, in the subject line, read a book. Like, at the library or Barnes & Noble. See a play. For example, no theater. Visit a museum. Robertson. Hear a symphony. For example, Binghamton Philharmonic. Ron from Binghamton writes, Luma is a way to see fleeting images that last a few moments. Been there, seen that, what's the big deal? So that is the take from Ron in Binghamton. Now, I didn't go this year. It's just the way it worked out. Of course, you know, I was on vacation last week, so I think usually when I'm on vacation, I don't spend too much time in in downtown Binghamton. Probably because when I'm not on vacation, I spend so much time in Binghamton, so sometimes when I take a few days off, I Continue my North American goodwill tour, which means covering places outside Binghamton quite often. Dave from Binghamton writes, oh, I'm glad to get uh, Dave's take on it. Luma is definitely not over and should continue being successful in the long term. It was well attended, and I spoke with people that drove from Michigan, Ohio, Texas, all over Pennsylvania, and elsewhere who either came specifically for the event or planned their travels to stop in town for Luma. The couple from Michigan spent the weekend, and even before the show started on Friday, mentioned how much they loved the area. Dave, in his email to the host of the program, writes, I think the fact nobody called makes sense. It is now well-oiled for the most part, with some room for improvement, as any event will have. I agree, it would be nice if callers that had a great time would call in and mention it, or the founders and staff would call in to discuss the great event. I agree. I agree. With, with that sentiment. If the founders or staff would call in, there used to be a guy... I think many people might remember him, the member of Binghamton City Council who came to Binghamton as a student, a Binghamton University student, and he was very involved in the community. 
and really seemed enthusiastic, not just about Binghamton University, but about the city of Binghamton and Luma. And then Conrad left, never to be heard from again. So, and I'm not sure why we didn't have any call-ins from Luma-related luminaries, but they certainly were welcome to call in. They're still welcome to call in next hour. If you have Luma thoughts, we will continue till noon. I'm Bob Joseph on a Tuesday morning here on WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, September 13th. It's 11.04. You're listening to WMBF. A Syracuse company that runs a Broome County drug treatment center is preparing to develop a $57 million housing project in Binghamton for people with substance abuse challenges. A unit affiliated with Helio Health acquired the former sheltered workshop site at 200 Court Street and some adjacent properties for $2.2 million last May. The project would create a total of 108 apartments. A development plan outlined for the City's Commission on Architecture and Urban Design indicated the project would convert an existing vacant former manufacturing warehouse into housing. Three connected buildings would be renovated into 81 units. A three-story addition would be constructed to house 27 more apartments. The plan calls for the creation of a community room as well as a fitness center and an outdoor recreation area in a courtyard. The facility would also have lounges and laundry rooms. Dozens of people soon will be busy in West Corners gathering potatoes to be donated to food pantries in the region. Jim Baker of the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club said volunteers are needed to help with the upcoming harvest. Members of the club have sponsored the project for more than a decade to help those in need. Baker is encouraging people willing to pitch in to show up Saturday morning at the field on Route 26 just north of Phil's Chicken House. There will be a sign announcing the potato harvest project. Speaking on WMBF Radio, Baker said the planting for the potato crop occurs in May. Club members spray and cultivate the field during the summer. The potatoes are now ready to be harvested. A popular Wegmans app that gave customers a quicker way to shop and pay for their items is being shut down. The company, which operates a store in Johnson City, has advised users of its scan app that the service will be discontinued soon. According to the Buffalo News, the move is being made because too many people have been using it to shoplift. A Wegman statement about the move makes no direct mention of customers not paying for merchandise before leaving the store. It said the losses we are experiencing from this program prevent us from continuing to make it available in its current state. The company's statement indicated its customers have said they love the app and the convenience it offers. Wegman said the chain had tried many adjustments to keep it. The statement did not specify what changes had been made in an effort to maintain the service. The Wegmans app was rolled out during the COVID-19 pandemic in an effort to improve overall operations at a time of significant restrictions. In a show of support for keeping a Democratic Senate, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is transferring $15 million from his campaign account to his party's candidates, incumbents, and political committee for the fall election. That's according to a Democrat familiar with the situation who insisted on anonymity to discuss it. Schumer is sending $1 million each to nine candidates, four incumbent Democratic senators, and five Democratic challengers in battleground states. That includes $1 million to the most contested senators, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, and Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. And it includes $1 million to the victory funds of newcomers Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Cherie Beasley in North Carolina, Tim Ryan in Ohio, 
and Val Demings in Florida. Three children were found dead on the beach near Brooklyn's famed Coney Island boardwalk early Monday, and police believe they may have been drowned by their mother. The bodies of the children, identified by police as Zachary Murdy, Lillian Murdy, and three-month-old Oliver Bondarev, were found after a nearly three-hour search that began at 1.40 a.m. when a relative called police worried that the woman intended to harm her children. The mother, identified by family members as 30-year-old Erin Murdy, was found 90 minutes later, barefoot and soaking wet, two miles down the boardwalk from the section of Coney Island where she lived. Detectives were trying to question Murdy at the local police precinct house. So far, she's not said anything, said New York Police Department Chief of Department Kenneth Corey. New York is posed to strengthen its oversight of private and religious schools following years of complaints that thousands of children are graduating from ultra-Orthodox Jewish, Jewish schools lacking basic academic skills, including the ability to read English. A Board of Regents committee unanimously approved guidelines Monday to make sure instruction at the state's private and religious schools is equivalent to that of its public schools. The rules would apply to all of New York's 1,800 non-public schools, but have the greatest impact on the ultra-Orthodox schools called yeshivas, some of which provide rigorous religious instruction, but little to no teaching in secular subjects like English, math, science, and history. It's 1109, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Mo. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Right now about 64 degrees and cloudy outside. Humidity in the 90s and a dew point of 59 degrees. Today, showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm before noon. Then a chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly between noon and 3 p.m. Cloudy early, then becoming mostly sunny with a high near 72 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, chance of showers and thunderstorms before 9 p.m., then a slight chance of showers between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., partly cloudy, a low near 53 degrees, 30% chance of rain. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, a high near 76. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 49. And Thursday, sunny with a high near 66 degrees. Thursday night, mostly clear with a low near 44 degrees. It's 11:11 where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. This is the real Bob Joseph asking the real question. Hey, yeah? <laughs> All right. I guess that subject has been sufficiently covered. 607-772-1290 with uh, Tuesday Happiness. Hello. We welcome you. If you're uh, new to the radio party here at WNBF, the show is different the show is different than what you probably encounter on other 
radio channels or even unsyndicated shows, but that's that's okay. Don't don't be too upset. Well, I don't get it. You're not uh, talking with the talking points that we gave you. No, I'm not going to talk with the talking points. <laughs> I won't. I can't. I shan't. So I will say this. Every once in a while, I'll see something somewhere and remark on it, but it's not, it's not because someone handed me a talking point. Well, you're, you're in favor of the one guy and not some other guy. Mm. Now, probably the, the more accurate description would be I'm in favor of of disclosure and transparency. I know transparency is a word that seems to be misused by elected officials. They love, ooh, transparency. Look at me. I'm the most transparent kid ever. And how many times have we heard that, only to be followed by a total lack of transparency? So, right, all all I really think is people who work for us, the people who work for you, as in elected officials, or if they work for government agencies, they do owe you a couple things. One, they owe you the best possible job ever. They should be giving 100%. They should be working for you, not for themselves. And in addition to that, not just working for you tirelessly for the betterment of our communities, but also offering some semblance of accountability and being responsive. So in this day and age, when... Elected officials would prefer not to answer questions. Well, you know, that's that's a quaint notion, but just because you don't want to answer questions or because you don't have maybe the best answers at a given time, it's insufficient. That is insufficient. We need we need some answers. And actually, the truth is, when you strive to give your constituents some answers, you'll be helping yourself. Because people will suddenly realize, wait, here's a person who's keeping me posted with what's going on. And also, is being honest, say if things don't go exactly according to plan, the person says, yeah, that didn't work out exactly the way we expected, and this is why. And here's what we're doing about it. And I'll give you an update in a week. And another update in a week, if necessary. That's not that tough. No, in life, things don't always go the way you expect them to go. But it doesn't mean you can't keep your constituents up to speed. 607-772-1290. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Jesse from Owego. Oh, Jesse in Owego. Did you see that flooding last night? They had flooding down in Owego, and I think there was a kid. He he wanted to put his little boat on North Avenue and, and float his boat. 
in the flooded underpass? Well, it's because I'm, I'm no longer there to maintain it. That's why. <laughs> I wondered. Um, there's Jesse, Jesse, come and get your boat. There's a kid trying to float his boat, and it's I know it wasn't his boat, but you weren't around, so what can I do? So anyway, well, that, that, as they say, that too managed to pass, and, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it was raining heavily for a while there, from what I saw. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was ran off, and then boom, out of nowhere. So yeah, could have been worse. Hey, by the way, I'm a little bit ticked off. So our Senator Schumer decides that he can grab all of that money that he has raised for his election, and now he can transfer it across state lines to other people that are in trouble with their elections. He's trying to help them out. That's no different, Bob, than transferring weapons across state lines. I don't think that, honestly, I think that should be against the law. If you're going to raise money for your election, it should only be allowed to be used in New York State only. I don't know. That's got me a little bit ticked off. I'm like, this is bull. But then I forgot he's just as holy as our accidental governor. Well, I would say this about Chuck Schumer. I I would think... When he started out, he was probably a nice guy. But that could be said about me as well. Well, same here, Bob. I, I mean, when we guy. start out, look, we we generally start out innocently enough. And then, obviously, after a few days, things start to go south. But, you know, Chuck Schumer, I'm sure when he was a kid in New York City, I'm sure he was beloved by his family. <laughs> or his mom. <laughs> I'm tall, too. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, but to your point about him pouring $15 million, transferring money from his campaign coffers to Democratic senators and Senate candidates in 11 key battleground races, I agree with you. I agree. If people donate to a particular candidate, that money shouldn't be shunted around just because we agree. Chuck Schumer, as far as I can see will keep getting reelected to the Senate for as long as he wants, as long as he's physically able. So yeah, he, does, he doesn't need like. he doesn't need that kind of money. But, but to the same point, Kathy Hochul doesn't need the kind of money that she raised. Although, to be fair, and I know you may disagree with me, Jesse, but to be fair... I think Kathy Hochul has a better excuse for raising money because this is the first time that she is actually running for a four-year term for governor. So, yes, she has lots of money, and the whole point of raising lots of money is to discourage other good opponents from even bothering. So and then, so far, that's worked. I mean, she probably will easily be elected to a four-year term because... Other Democrats were afraid to really challenge her. And then Republicans, some potentially good Republicans, probably didn't want to get involved either because they knew they wouldn't stand much of a chance in a state that's controlled by Democrats. Well, the way she's going, she's better off grabbing her entire election fund, give that back, or give that to the Buffalo Bills, and give us our $810 million back. Well, you know, the, the whole thing, 
And and there you go again, bringing up the Buffalo Bills. Everything was going well for about two and a half hours, and then inevitably somebody has to bring up the Buffalo Bills, and you know what a sore point that is for me. I don't dislike the Bills. I, I think they're probably as good as many other teams. But the bottom line is I don't like my money being used for sports facilities. I just don't. I don't. No, no. I think they are rich enough they can do that all on their own with no support of taxpayer money. Guaranteed. And, right. And and by the way, now some people say, oh, Bob, you're hypocritical. You go to those Binghamton baseball games and you know that the state and the city have spent a lot of money not only to build the stadium, but also to upgrade the stadium in recent years. So you're being hypocritical by criticizing huge amounts of money for a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. No, I'm not being hypocritical. I didn't want any public money used for the stadium to begin with. Not because I dislike baseball. I, I'm very pleased that Binghamton has a stadium and also has a team that provides something entertaining for people to do in the summer if they want to get out of the house even if they're not going to pay a lot of attention to the game it's great that we have it philosophically i just don't think private enterprise in this case sports enterprises should be supported with tax dollars because believe it or not jesse i believe in new york state i'm overtaxed well i totally agree and i've got one more thing for you can you name one NASCAR racetrack throughout the United States that has ever asked money from the state or from their governors? Right now, I can't find one. Maybe that's something you can look into. Yeah, I never Not thought. One. Well, I never thought of that. And my guess is there must there must be some NASCAR facility somewhere that's received public money or tax breaks or something. I suspect it's happened, but certainly doesn't seem to happen with the frequency of our friends, the baseball and football team owners. They they always seem to have their hands out. And and again, isn't it true? Isn't it true that these billionaires who run or own the Buffalo NFL team, they're not even full time New York residents? Don't they spend most of their time in Florida anyway? Sure they do. They Which is fine. I, and by, yeah, and, and I, I think it's great. And people might be saying, oh, Bob, you're just jealous because they're so successful. No, I'm not jealous of their success. I'm saying they're so successful, they can afford to build their own stadium, whether they want to build a stadium in Orchard Park or if they feel that some other state deserves it. I don't want, I don't want, the bills to leave New York State, but say if if the owners of the team decided to leave in a huff because we didn't give them enough, enough tax money, I would say, I wish you the best in all your future endeavors. Sorry we weren't able to keep you here with billion-dollar bribes. Sorry that didn't work out because we don't believe in billion-dollar bribery. Personally, if I was the Buffalo Bills owner, I'd move to Houston anyway just in spite of that because well, we are we the people of the state of New York 
are the ones that get ripped off. Well, it, you know, the thing, and this will probably, people already are mad at me for innumerable issues, including football fans, so nothing more is going to be lost here when I point out quite accurately, of course, once we lose the Bills, then that means New York State has no football team. But, you know, or no NFL team. So, I know, and people, we're the Giants. Yeah, and yeah, you're, you're the New York Giants. That's your brand. And I thought you, they were New Jersey guys. Yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> I thought they moved. Well, they did move, but they still insist on using the New York brand, which apparently is legal. But, you know, they should be proud. If I, I have to say, if I lived in New Jersey, and not, nothing against the Garden State, some of my best friends have lived there. But, you know, I, I, think, know I think they should just be accurate, say, yeah, we're the Jersey Jets and the Jersey Giants. We play in New Jersey. Maybe someday, maybe someday we'll come back home to the Empire State and, and give people a real treat. But I don't so, know. So, so once I fully retire here, Bill or Bob, so I'm gonna. I'm thinking about Florida. So when I call into the show, because of course I got the app, am I gonna say Jesse, formerly of Owego via Florida? How do you want me to address that? Oh, I'm sure you'll figure it out. How soon is this gonna happen? By the way, oh, it's just in my thought process. All right, well, keep me posted. I'm in no big rush. And by the way, if I want a light festival, I'm going to get on the Northern Express, the Polar Express, that is. <laughs> and I'm going to head up to the North Pole. Those are the lights I want. All right. Thanks for calling in. That's the report from Owego, making contemporary news. 1126 WNBF. And we'll probably take a few more calls at 607 772 if you have thoughts about football, baseball, oh, gee, we didn't mention tennis, yeah, tennis, golf, anything, whatever's on your mind, oh, call us. And if you don't want to talk about sports, did, did you see that guy at the golf course yesterday? That was something to behold. He forgot his clubs. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Tom from Mendwell. Hey, Tom. Speaking about golf, I went to the Dick's Open for the first time. We got the, we're putting those cabanas. We had food, drinks. Um, awesome time. But then let me tell you, I love to golf. I'm not good. But uh, those golfers, they put a whole new uh, perspective in the game. Like, it's just amazing how three or four guys will all put the ball within two to three foot from the pin at 150 yards out is just unbelievable. They're very talented. I, I look at whether I've seen the pros play in Endicott or occasionally if I happen to watch on TV and I see the remarkable talent of, of pro golfers, I just shake my head. I, I just, I'm mesmerized. I have no idea how they can do it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand how they... How, when they're using their irons, how they, they're able to dig in the dirt the way that they do without breaking their wrist. Like, I, I try it, and it's like zero success. Well, it's good you had a chance to go. 
Yeah, yeah. First time ever going. Um, yeah, it was nice. It was it was definitely cool. Um, great experience. I mean, if people haven't gone, they definitely got to check it out. Well, as I say, as I say about all sports or any event around here, support it. Take advantage of it. Don't don't take it for granted. As I, I mentioned earlier on today's program, I didn't go to this year's Luma event, so I'll be the first person to be crying in my coffee next September if they say, oh, we were going to have Luma again this year, but we, we fell... In terms of attendance, we came two people short of deciding to carry it on, so we're going to blame Bob Joseph and his friend. There you go. So, I I mean, it would make me feel very, very sad if they don't continue Luma. Just because I didn't happen to go this year, I've I've been uh, to... Most of them. I haven't. I didn't go to the first one, and I. I still kick myself because, you know, I talked with with uh, Joshua, and others affiliated with the first event. They said, "Well, why didn't you go?" I said, "I didn't know what to expect. It sounded, I don't know. It sounded too, too out of the ordinary. So, and I just didn't go. And I. I still think I made made a bad choice. But hey, we make choices." It is what it is. But anyway, I know my time's super limited. Yep. So yesterday I called in and I kind of closed the show about, um, you know, some of these Democratic leaders that are like all about having, you know, massive amount of um, migrants come in. But when I had said, you know, you got the governor from Texas, he's shipping them to D.C. And you were like, oh, that he shouldn't do that. That's the, the, the bottom line is is when he does ship them there, D.C., Chicago, they, they're, like, in an ultimate panic. And now they're going to send some to Philly. Do these guys not realize, like, what Texas is going through and Arizona's going through? Like, you're talking millions of migrants compared to two or three hundred. And By the way, guys- by the way, before you continue, let me... Also acknowledge right at the end of the program that you you got short shrift from me because we were running out of time. I took one quick call to uh, squeeze in before we had to wrap up. So I'll I'll certainly acknowledge that that uh, you didn't have a whole lot of time to respond to anything I said. So I want to wanted to point that out. It was more a, a time element than anything else. I mean, now we have a little more time to work with because we're not as close to. Uh, uh, wrapping up the program, so I just wanted to point that out to you. Yeah, no, that, I, and I knew that, but you know, my whole my whole thing is, you know, you were like, oh, you know, the governor for, from Texas shouldn't be doing that. You know, uh, D.C. and Chicago, they should ship them back to Texas. Like that, that doesn't even make any sense when you know Texas is struggling. What are they to do with all these migrants? You know, what, what are they to feed them, house them, medical? Um, they're, they're overwhelmed. You know, you got the border. They're seizing massive amount of fentanyl. The Democrats never even talk about the fentanyl and the amount of people. I think they said nearly almost 100,000 people have died of fentanyl. Um, you know, these things, these are things that the Democrats aren't even talking about. And you had Kamala Harris just came on national television and said, oh, the border's completely closed. Like, where are the people calling her out? Like, you're lying. 
you know, and, and all these little towns, El Paso and all these little towns, I mean, their residents are being completely uprooted. They, you know, with, with the overwhelming amount of people coming in, illegals crossing in their backyards. Like, it seems like nobody cares. Like, let's just not talk about it. Let's just focus on Trump. Let's not focus on, you know, the amount of fentanyl and the drugs. And, you know, I remember when I, when they were busting illegals all over the place and even flying them, when I brought that in and you were like, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. Like, well, one thing about about the issue with with people coming into this country without going through the proper procedure, it is a problem. It's a national problem, and I don't know what's going to happen if the national government, if the federal government can't start working with the individual states to deal with the issue. There, ha- there really must be a better way than having individual states and governors make a decision to put people on buses and send them without without having adequate planning in place it just it it doesn't it doesn't look good and i it i i don't know what what um governor abbott really does in in terms of uh, making preparations for for people that he wants to ship out of Texas. I'm not saying it's it's not um, a significant problem for Texas. I'm just saying, you know, taking his problem and trying to ship it out to other places. I don't believe that's a good solution. Well, I don't think it's an uh, uh, Abbott problem. I think it's a Democrat problem. They're the ones that are you know, basically allowing all this to happen and they want this to happen. So you got states like Texas and Arizona, like, okay, what do we do now? Nobody's coming out to help them. They're not getting, you know what I mean? They're just stuck with the problem. They're like, deal with it. Like it's a Democrat problem and and it's not being addressed. Just like the amount of drugs that are coming over the border that the border agents are seizing. I mean, thousands and thousands of pounds of fentanyl. Democrats don't want to talk about that. You know, the amount of crime that's taking place, the amount of bodies they're pulling out of the Rio Grande. Democrats don't want to talk about that. Like, these are issues that they don't want to talk about. And and if anybody does talk about it, they just call it a conspiracy theory because that's the easiest thing to do. You know, let's just focus on Trump. Like, Trump's been out of office for two years, and they're still attacking this guy and they're going to continue to attack this guy until he says, okay, I'm done. I'm never going to step foot. In well, and that's that's to be expected. You know, as long as he wants to be part of the political discourse in this country, Democrats will be be forced to deal with him. They don't Look, they don't want to face him in November 2024. They don't, and the thing is, what if he runs in 2024, and what if he loses? Are, 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 but, but the problem is, based on what happened last year, a lot of people are worried if he runs again and loses, not, not because of shenanigans, not because of 
things that were rigged. But people are afraid that will happen on January 6th last year will pale in comparison to what's going to happen in January of 2025. There's a real worry. And and given, given the language used by him, by the former president, and by some of his supporters, I think the, the worry is well-founded. I'm not predicting trouble. I'm saying it's understandable why people don't look forward to the prospect of January 2025 if the former president, if Donald Trump runs as the Republican candidate and loses and again fails to concede. What then? Because then we might indeed get the civil war that some people are predicting and some people seem to want. Well, that can go both ways. I mean, as soon as Trump won, look what the Democratic Party did. I mean, they, they just started investigation, investigation, impeachment, investigation, like, and then the summer riots. I mean, I know you don't like to talk about them, but even Kamala Harris championed and supported those, those, that kind of violence. But that can't be talked about because that's just not in the realm of talking about these things. Well, it can be talked about, but they're two totally separate issues. And I, I still submit to you that what happened in Washington on January 6, 2021, posed a far greater risk to our form of government than what happened in the summer of 2020. I'm not, I'm not saying either was good. I don't support violence. I don't support people breaking laws. But I think what, what transpired for people who were directed... Well, they were angry, and some felt they were directed or encouraged by President Trump to come to Washington. And whether he really wanted violence or whether to some of his detractors it just felt that way, look, we came too close to experiencing something really bad. It was bad enough what happened January 6th, and it all happened basically on a single day. There were protests around the country that happened the previous summer, and they were in various cities and and communities, and it wasn't directed by one, one person. But one person wanted to basically have the results of an election, of a presidential election, overturned. They did. They wanted the same thing in 2016. That's well, they may have wanted it, but they didn't go that far. Thank goodness. The problem with what happened in January of 2021, in my personal view, is that now, now people see what you can get away with. And say it was angry people who supported the other candidate doing the same thing. I think a lot of Republicans would have a totally different view. Anyway, I do appreciate your calling back. It's 1040 at News Radio, WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com. Bob Joseph, live on a Tuesday morning. More calls coming right up. You wash your hands.
1143 WNBN. Back to the phones we go. Joan in Binghamton. Good morning. Well, that music definitely woke me up. I was starting to sort of, you know, get very mellow and, uh, you know, <laughs> almost catching a cat nap here, two and a half minute wait, you know. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to perk things up and I, I didn't have a cup of coffee, so that was the next best thing. Oh, I could use a cup of coffee. I could use one myself. Let's yeah. let's meet down here at the coffee shop at 1222. Uh, I can't do that. I'm working. Oh, darn. Okay. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be a while. It'll be a while. Anyway, um, you know, you were you were saying, you know, that they're they're sending these people on buses to, you know, these cities that aren't prepared, but they're sanctuary cities. How much money did they get from the federal government to declare themselves a sanctuary city and can't handle 200 people? Well, I don't know. I mean, is is it listed on the website? Who has the list? Well, sanctuary cities, so, you know, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, you know, I mean, L.A., I don't know, but... So you're telling me that all these people that have been touting and saying that they're sanctuary cities for the last, what, 10 years maybe, and they can't handle 200 people? That's not the point. You don't just send them there. Make arrangements. Make arrangements. If you want to send people to the Port Authority, call Mayor Adams. Don't just send them on a white bus in the middle of the night. How crazy is that? That's great. He's helping them out. No, he's not helping people out by by sending men, women, and children on a white bus in the middle of the night to a place where they might not want to go. Well, what do you mean they might not want to go? I don't know. Does he ask him? You tell me. You probably know a lot more about the process than I do. So does Governor Abbott ask the people before he puts them on a white bus, does he ask them where you want to go, and then he sends them to where they want to go? Does the federal government ask him? Uh- no. Answer my question. When Gov- Governor Abbott, or obviously his people, it's not the governor himself, When people in Texas, working at the behest of Governor Abbott, tell me how it works. So there are people that they have determined are in the United States illegally. So tell me about the process. Say say they look at me, and however they make a determination, they figure I'm in the country illegally, so they want to send me out of Texas. What happens then? I'm in America. Why should I complain? Well, you're not helping me. I just want to understand. I want to understand how it is that anybody, any person, Governor Abbott or anyone else, can take any other human being and put them on the white bus and send them to some place where they don't want to go. How can they even let them come into the United States illegally? Hey, don't look at me. I didn't tell anybody to come here illegally. I've told everybody all the time to obey every law in this country when possible. So don't look, don't look in this direction. The bottom line is, if somebody winds up in the United States illegally, you don't have the right to put them on a white bus and send them someplace else. You have no right to do that. They probably were very cooperative. They they weren't forced at gunpoint to get on a bus. I don't care if they were forced at gunpoint or not. 
they are in a strange land, probably afraid, probably hungry, probably concerned about where they'll stay. And then somebody, a do-gooder, I'm using air quotes, a do-gooder in Texas puts them on a white bus. Oh, come on, man. You're the reporter. You're the one should be investigating this, not me. I'm a reporter for WNBF in Binghamton. I have a full plate. I'm not going to spend my time investigating why Governor Abbott is doing things that appear to be illegal. Trust me, the people of Binghamton need a Binghamton reporter. But if Governor Abbott doesn't watch out, he's liable to find himself in a lot of legal hot water before long. It's 1148. This is Bob Joseph just offering my view from a studio in the Parlor City on WNBF and WNBF.com. Finding great. Eleven fifty-two WNBF. Bob Joseph live and local on WNBF. Sandicott, we go. Say good morning to John. Hi, John. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good. How's it going? Good. I just wanted to let you guys know that they do sign a consent form before they get on those buses that go anywhere. They're translated to them and they sign up to go. So, now, do you know what the what the essence of the consent form? Indicate. I mean, does it tell them where they'll be going? It tells and, them and where why? they're going. Yeah, yes, it does. You can look into it if you'd like, and then the the percentage of the amount of people that they're sending to these cities that are having fits isn't. I mean, they get that many. Uh, I'm thinking the number that they've gotten so far. They probably get that many a week between Texas, California, and Arizona. And so I don't know what these people are having fits over, but... Uh, well, I don't know if it's... It's probably just the principle more than the numbers. Just the concept. The con, uh, here's here's my, my opinion for what it's worth. I think they're just unhappy because it's a situation outside their control. And they know that, for example, Governor Abbott is doing this for political advantage. I mean, it plays well in his home state. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not, and I'm not saying if the tables were turned, say if Chuck Schumer was governor of Texas, I'm not saying he wouldn't be doing the same thing. Politicians will politish. Why don't they complain about shutting down the border (laughs) instead of listening to Kamala Harris that it's secure that she just said over the weekend on the, I think it was uh, Chuck Todd or one of the. No, I didn't. I didn't see that. Because I, I was taking a week off from news, but to be honest with you, just between you and me, it doesn't surprise me she would say that. You don't see a lot of the good things that these people say on on the air, but uh, anything the Republicans say that you don't like, you you seem to hear that okay. Yeah. Come on, Bob. It Come does, on, Bob. All right, John, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate the call. All right. <laughs> Take care. Have a good one. You Goodbye. Too. Bye. I have to say, sometimes it really makes me wonder. 1154, Bob Joseph uh, hosting a show. Is it the best show in Binghamton? I would 
I would submit to you, yeah, actually. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. First name, please. Hello. Hi, what's your first name and where are you calling My from? My first name is Bill. I'm from Binghamton. All right, Bill from Binghamton. What's up? Bob. Hypothetical, you have a fence around your yard. People are bashing it down, trying to come into your yard. What are you going to do? Oh, probably call 988. What's 988? It's uh, the number for counseling. Actually, no, I would call 911. I would call 911 and say there there are people trespassing at at my property. Please send some units. Exactly. Thank you for the correct answer. Now, the the Republicans have been begging for help with no, no reply at all from the Joe Biden administration. Can you give me your opinion now? No return calls, just like you get no return calls. Uh, well, um, let me put it this the way. Of Binghamton well, the right. no, of Binghamton. Yeah, good point. And that's, that's no way to run a government. That's not the way to run a city government or a school district or the federal government. So I agree with you there. The federal government, including the president and every aspect of the federal government, they need to work with the states to get this solved. Appreciate your call. This Friday. Mission accomplished, and we will be back tomorrow morning to continue the mission. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF Binghamton.